what Tom just read from is, is Romans 12, 13 to 18, probably a different translation than you have. Um, however, I, I, I like the translation because it, it makes it very clear that there is something about the Christian life that's supposed to be different. Um, generally speaking, when it comes to Advent, when it comes to the the four weeks, if you're a traditionalist, the, the four topics are love, hope, joy, peace. Not necessarily in that order. Um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the topic of peace. And generally, at least just about every time I have either given a message on peace or have heard a message on peace, it has been focused on the peace that we have with God, which is important. I don't want to minimize that. Um, that's, that's a very, very, very critical thing. Um, in this world that we currently live in, the way things are today, peace is something that is generally far from our existence, right? Everywhere we look, even if we don't watch the news, if we listen to the radio for 10 minutes, or if we read anything on the internet, there is turmoil, right? There is strife. There's conflict, there's persecution, there's destruction. Uh, this morning I woke up uh, hearing about uh, a flood and a fire in the Philippines uh, that is just causing massive destruction. The fires in California, the hurricanes that hit Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico is still, uh, Puerto Rico is just destroyed. There's not a whole lot left of that island. It's really hard for us to see peace when we look around the world. No matter where you are and what you look at, you don't see peace. So it's something we have to look for, not something we're going to just see all over the place. Um, because of the first advent of Christ, because of His first coming, we have that peace with God. And like I said, I really don't want to minimize peace with God. Uh, that is of critical importance because without peace with God, we can't have peace with anybody. And, and of course, without Christ, we can't have peace with God. James tells us, when, when we read his letter, that we are naturally at enmity with God. We are opposed. We are head-to-head. We are his enemies. But with Christ, we have peace. That peace is what lets us do this today. That peace is what lets Christmas mean more than just a day to, uh, let's see, sit around a, a, a fake Christmas tree, or a real one if you're that kind of person. I'm not. Too much effort. Right? Uh, a day to... Maybe light some candles, listen to some Christmas carols, uh, a season to go spend money that you don't have on things that you're going to give to people that you don't like, and they're not going to appreciate them, right? Christ is what lets this holiday season be more than that. And how little do we 
pay attention to peace during this season. Right? How many of y'all been shopping in the last week? You've been on the road in the last week. Yeah. No peace there. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. I was actually very happy this morning. We we took off and went to Ocean Springs and had breakfast for our anniversary like we always do. And uh, the roads were empty. There, there was like nobody on the road. Maybe three or four cars in front of us, maybe one or two passed us on the way, but it was empty. That was the most peaceful drive I've ever had. And it was that way on the way back, too. There wasn't even that much traffic on Highway 90. It was amazing. Really, I'm going to have to start getting up Sunday mornings and just going for a drive to de-stress. The impact that peace has on our lives should come out in the way we interact with people. And that's what I really want to talk about this morning. Is does the hope, let's see if I get the candles right, hope that we looked at the first week, right? And then the faith that we looked at the second week, and the joy and the peace that we claim to have, does that change the way we interact with people? Okay, everybody says, everybody says yes, that's the church answer. Good, I'm, yay. You gave the Sunday school answer. Get yourself a piece of candy on the way out the door. However, let's be honest, I am sure that every one of us has met that person who's in church every time the doors are open, who's been walking with Jesus since Jesus was a little boy, right? Who is not prone to peace with everyone. They're crotchety, they're grumpy, they're argumentative, they're not warm, they're not welcoming, they're judgmental. They're really just not pleasant to be around. And you probably met them at church. Right? Why? Why are people like this? Now, I'm not suggesting that they're not saved. Because I think it is possible for a Christian to have a bad attitude. Because that's part of the sin nature that we still carry around, right? What I am saying is that uh, the joy and the faith and the love and the hope that they should have isn't coming out in the way they live. And there's many reasons this could be the case. They might be bitter over a past hurt, uh, a loss of some sort. Maybe they were just raised with a critical spirit. If you're raised in a household where everything that you do is criticized, you're going to grow up to be the kind of person that criticizes everything that is done, period. That's just that's human nature, right? Or it may be that they've spent too long allowing their flesh to rule their lives. And uh, this is the, the situation that Paul is talking about in chapter 12 of the book of Romans. Now, I pointed out last week that the Roman church, to the best of our historical knowledge, there wasn't necessarily anything big and bad going on in Rome. In Galatia, they had abandoned the gospel. That was pretty serious. In fact, the letter to the Galatians is the only one that Paul starts without saying, I thank God for you. 
the letter to the Galatians, Paul starts out by saying, what in the world are you thinking? The rest of them, he says, I thank God for you. Even Corinth, where they got everything about being the church wrong. But in Rome, we don't know of anything particular that was going on. So why would he write stuff like this? Because Paul knows that the Roman Christians are first and foremost people. And the stuff that he tells us to do in chapter 12 isn't natural for people. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Well, that's... I could actually see churchy folks doing that kind of thing. Even the even the grumpy old person will make sure that they put something in the plate, most likely because they've been told if they don't put something in the plate, then they're going to hell. Okay? We should be looking out for one another in the church. Now, I'm, I'm in a unique situation here because fully two-thirds of the population of our assembly this morning, are related to me. All right? I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and 13. Okay? Well, 12, mom's not here. <laughs> We're a family. And what Paul says is that we should be willing to help each other out when we have needs that need to be met. Not necessarily wants, and definitely not to equip one another to sin, right? So if you have a gambling problem, and you're not able to pay your electric bill, I may help you pay your electric bill once. But I can guarantee you, I'm also going to help you get away from the gambling problem. That's part of that whole contributing to the need. The need is more than just keeping the lights on. The need is not wasting your money someplace where it shouldn't be wasted. The model for this is found at the beginning of Acts. We looked at it here last week in Sunday school. In Acts uh, chapter 4, after the day of Pentecost, uh, you have the, the churches all gathered together and nobody had need. Nobody had a need for anything financially because the church was supporting the church. If somebody owned extra property, they were selling it and they were giving the proceeds to the church directly, specifically to the apostles to administer. And then if somebody showed up who had a need, the apostles would minister to that need with the money that was donated. This isn't an economic model. This is a model for love. And it's probably the easiest thing that Paul tells us to do. Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's probably the easiest thing that he tells us to do in this chapter. But the second half of that phrase, seek to show hospitality... That's a little bit tougher. Now, you guys know that I like looking up the, the Greek words that are used here because the, the, the Greek word is, is more important than the English translation because 
English has really been stupidified, if that's a real word, word. I don't know if it is, but I just made it one. All right, we have dumbed English down a lot. The Greek word for hospitality is the word philoxenia. Now, you know what Philadelphia is, right? That's what? The city of brotherly love. Okay, the, the philo part of the phila is that idea of brotherly affection for one another. That's liking people. The xenia, if, if somebody has xenophobia, what are they afraid of? Other people. Strangers, particularly. Those things that are different. So, Paul says, seek to love strangers. If the previous part of this sentence was the easiest thing that Paul tells us to do, for a guy like me, this is probably the hardest thing to do. I am not a naturally outgoing person. I know that's hard to believe. I am a very introverted, very happy to be by myself person. And if you don't believe me, ask the lady with 25 years experience. Okay? She will be happy to tell you probably for the next 25 years. I find it hard to like the people that I know. I'll be honest. I've said it from here before. There are days that I love Steph, but I don't like Steph. There's a lot more days she doesn't like me. It is hard to like people. It's hard to show affection to people, let alone the people that you don't no. Now, there's some people who just, they, they have the natural knack. How many of y'all like speaking in public? <laughs> I love it. That was one, by the way. Other than myself, there's one. Okay? So just like those of us who speak in public have no problem doing so, and have a hard time understanding how somebody could be afraid of speaking in public, right? How many of you like meeting new people? Okay, not so much. That's, that's not my thing. But this is an imperative for us. This is something that Paul tells us is a must. How are we going to carry the message of the gospel to the world if the only people that we'll associate with are the people that we know and who are probably already believers? Right? We've got to be willing to go to where the sinners are. That's hard. Now, in case you weren't paying attention, there are multiple words, Greek words, for the word love. It was philoxenia, not agapoxenia. So it wasn't that unconditional love, because, you know, I love people. That unconditional, I want the best for them, no matter what the personal cost, and, and, and I, I, that, that it doesn't matter how they act towards me. I still love them. It's not an emotion. It's a verb. 
right? The word that Paul chose was the emotion. He said we're supposed to like people. Man, I hate it when God preaches to me in my sermons. To feel affection for others. So the first thing he tells us to do is take care of one another in the church and then get outside the walls of the church and be nice to people. Like people. Love people. Feel affection for people. That is a manifestation of our peace with God. That is a manifestation of how God has changed us. Is the ability to go meet other people and to make friends and and to love people. And just in case that's not your hard task, verse 14, it gets even worse from a human perspective. Look at chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who do what? Persecute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That is the antithesis of the American church in the year 2017. Bless those who persecute you. Our normal mode of operation is to what? Complain about those who persecute you, right? Seek legal recourse against those who persecute you. And then go on social media and post about how horrible the people are who persecute you. Paul says, bless them. Once again, I love having my, my Strong's Concordance in my Bible software on the computer because if there's a word I want to look up, all i got to do is click on it and it gives me the Greek word and the definition and all of the different ways that it's translated. That Greek word that is translated as bless is the word eulogy. Now, he's not telling us to speak a good word over them at their grave. <laughs> but he is telling us to speak well of them. When was the last time that happened? Speak well of them who persecute you. Pray for God's blessing to be upon them who persecute you. Piece of cake, right? That's easy to do. No, it's easy to pray for those who persecute us Right? That prayer is normally called an imprecatory prayer. There's a bunch of them in the book of Psalms. And they go something like this. God, please get them. That's not what Paul says. He says, pray for them, not pray against them. Speak well, religiously, for them. Don't pray curses upon them. Bless and do not curse. Let your peace with God become peace with your enemies. Jeez, Paul. Man. Who was he writing this to? 
No, 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 no. Paul, now, now, yes, he was moved by the Holy Spirit, and yes, the Holy Spirit has worked to preserve this word, and it is part of the canon of Scripture, but who was Paul writing to? The Christians in Rome. Do you remember the people who ruled Rome? Nero lost his mind, made streets lights out of Christians, right? Hang them up on a pole, dip them in tar, light them on fire. Use them for cat food, feed your lions with them. I could go into the other emperors who persecuted the church. Paul, when he says those who persecute you, he doesn't have in mind those who insist that you say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. He is writing to people who literally have to worry about getting killed because of their faith. And he says, bless those who do that. Justin Martyr, when he wrote his first letter to the... the Ruler in France, if I remember who it was correctly. He made the point of saying, why do you persecute Christians? We are model citizens. Jesus taught us to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. We pay our taxes. Scripture tells us to be faithful to our spouses, which helps to build families, which helps to build a strong society we are commanded to pray for our leaders to bless them and not curse we're praying for your success why do you insist on killing us that's the attitude that comes from having peace with god Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When someone has a win in their life, be happy for them. Even if that win may have come at a loss for you. One of the hardest days in the military happens every year, at least in the Air Force. We call it Passover. That is the day when promotion results come out. And you either made it or you didn't make it. If you made it, great. If you didn't, you were passed over. And I can remember in 2008, I'm sorry, 2007, 2007, it was my second year testing for Master Sergeant. And I had studied some, not tremendously, but some. And I had taken the promotion tests, and I felt relatively good about my results which is never a good thing. The better I felt coming out of that test, the worse I did. Can't explain that. If I came out feeling like I tested in the wrong career field, I probably made it. I can remember that day the commander called everybody who was eligible for promotion into one room, and they weren't all competing for the same stripe. We had some people that were trying to go from staff sergeant to tech sergeant, some from tech to master, and he named off the people who were selected. And even though I knew that I probably didn't make it, it still hurt 
that I didn't make it. So, well, the hugs and the handshakes and the pats on the back and, and the good jobs and the pictures with, you know, here's your, here's your stripe with your promotion line number and all that kind of stuff. Well, all of that was going on. Was I rejoicing with those who were rejoicing? No, I was sitting in the back of the room having a pity party for myself. But that's not what we're called to do. Why was I doing that? Because I was focused on myself. I was focused on Bill's circumstances. I was focused on what Bill wanted. I was focused on what I thought was the best thing for me. Now, I really ought to know better because God has shown me over and 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 over that he knows better than I do. And it's because of that that I should be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. If somebody's happy, celebrate with them. Have you ever been happy about something? You walk into some place and somebody throws a wet blanket over your party? That's not what we're called to be. We are called to love one another and to be happy for one another. And then he says to weep with those who weep. Show compassion. Show concern. It's okay to show people that their hurt is your hurt. We have to remember, in spite of our circumstances, and we have to do this on purpose, we, we have to remember that our joy and our hope and our love for others comes out of the peace that we have with God. That is the direct result of our relationship with Christ. That's the point of what we celebrate. I, I've seen, probably in the last week, I have seen more of the, the, the pictures on Facebook of the wreath and the crown, the crown of thorns. This is the season, this is the reason. Right? We say it, do we live it? Does it come out? When we have peace, when we know that God is taking care of us, that He will not leave us to fend for ourselves, then it becomes easier to look out for other people, to care about other people, to show that compassion, to show that mercy, to show that joy, that I really can be happy for somebody else regardless of my circumstances because they're happy. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Be kind to strangers. If we don't have to worry about providing our own protection, then we can pray for those who persecute us. If we don't carry the burden of making sure that we're clawing our way to the top, 
then we can rejoice with those who are rejoicing. If we live as though we have peace with God, then we can live at peace with one another. I don't have to fight for my place if I know where my place is. When I'm not concerned with my status, I can stop being concerned with my pride. How can you be proud when you understand your relationship to God? Paul makes it very, very, very clear in the letter to the Romans. What does he have to boast in? Nothing. In the, in the letter to the Ephesians, what does, what does Paul say is the essential instrument of our faith? It's grace, right? We are saved by grace through faith. And where does the faith come from? God. What do we contribute to salvation? The need for it. The only thing I contributed is the need to be saved. So when I'm not being prideful, then I don't have to worry about appearances. Then I don't have to worry about what are people going to think if they see me talking to or hanging out with that homeless guy. What are they going to think if they see me trying to help out the drunk? That's what Paul says there in verse 16. Don't be proud, but associate with the lowly. Don't be conceited. This isn't natural. This isn't normal. So there's nothing about Advent that was normal. There's nothing about the birth of Christ that was average or natural. Starting at the very beginning with the creation of the universe and the, the proto-evangel, the, the, the pre-good news, after the fall, everything leading up to the birth of Christ was not natural. The angel telling Mary, congratulations, you're going to have a child. Oh, by the way, it's God's. Joseph, I know you're trying to protect Mary and you want to watch out for her reputation, so you're going to put her away quietly, but I don't want you to. Instead, I want you to marry her and to name the baby Jesus. to the circumstances of his birth, not in the kingdom, not in the, the palace in Jerusalem, but in a stable. Everything about what we celebrate at this time of year was not normal. And as we look at those candles where we talked about hope, in the world that we live in, hope is not normal. Faith is not normal. 
It's not natural. Joy. In this world, now we might have fleeting moments of happiness, but joy that transcends all of our circumstances, no, that's not normal. And the people who do demonstrate that normally wind up getting locked up. And peace, that's not normal. Don't think too much of yourself. (laughs) Don't repay evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I remember growing up, I'm going to convict Dad now. I remember growing up being told, I don't get mad, I get even. Heard that a lot growing up. That's not what Paul says. You know why Paul says, don't repay evil for evil? You know why the Old Testament law said if somebody somebody knocks your eye out, you, you knock their eye out? You know why that was that way? That was a limit. That was, that was a, this is as far as you can go. Because to be honest with you, if somebody punches me and knocks out a tooth, I am not going to be satisfied with knocking out a tooth. I'm going to make them require false teeth. Somebody cuts me off on the road, I'm not going to be happy just getting back in front of them. I want to run them off the road. Don't y'all look shocked. I know you do too. We all drive down here in South Mississippi. So why does Paul say don't repay evil for evil? Because if we do, we're going to go overboard. So he compares it and he says, give thought, stop and think first, do what is honorable in the sight of everybody. So when you're waving at that guy, telling him that he's number one for cutting you off, is that what's honorable in front of everybody? No, it's not. Remember hearing last week that that word hypocrite? Why do they call us hypocrite? Because we drive around with the fish on the back of the car or the bumper sticker that says, follow me to my church or the the license plate on the front of the car that says something about Jesus, right? And then we drive like idiots and get mad when other people cut us off, and we honk our horn, and we cuss at them, and we give them that hand signal, and all of those other things. And people see that, and they think, "Uh uh-huh, there's another one of them Christians. Hypocrite. And then probably the hardest line in all of this And I could keep going. I'd go all the way to the end of this chapter. Paul says in verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So far as it depends on you. So that means it's going to be hard because there's always another person involved, right? But we're supposed to try to live peaceably with everybody. 
Don't avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. This is in verse 19. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. What? If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. But make sure that's not your motivation. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul, Paul may seem like a broken record here as he's, he's writing this over and over and over again. He's emphasizing the point. I think the point of this season, even though Christmas was not celebrated in the first century, in, in 50 A.D. when he wrote this, But the idea here, the challenge for us here, for all of us, for me, for you, as we get ready to go out, and, and, and I will pray specifically for you if you still have Christmas shopping to do, because you're going to need peace and probably value when you're done. Um. The challenge that we have before us today is to live at peace. Stop making Jesus your co-pilot. If he's your co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. One of my favorite songs, haven't listened to it in a long time, there's a, a, a contemporary group called FFH, stands for Far From Home, and they did a song that says, you take the wheel. Right? Not, not Jesus take the wheel. That was a country song. And yeah, No. No country. I knew I'd get some scowls. But the point of this song is, you take the wheel and I'll work the radio. I want Jesus to drive the car. And I can't, I can't be the co-pilot. I can't be the navigator. I can't, I can't do anything that's of any value in that car. So I'm just going to sit and fiddle with the radio controls and let Jesus take me where he's taking me. The only way we can live at peace in this world is to take our hands off the wheel. So that's my challenge for you. Not when you're driving home. <laughs> But in your life, stop trying to be in control. Quit trying to wrestle that grip out of Jesus' hands.